Well, let's pray. Father, we come to you in prayer in the name of Jesus, and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to worship you today in all three services. I pray, God, that as we take the word of God this morning, that you would uh, apply it to our heart. I pray, God, that we would be able to see what the resurrection really means to us personally. And we'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's take the Bible this morning. We want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> and as we do, um, title of the message is, So What? Because Ravi Zacharias, who is a, a defender of the faith, he is an um, evangelist, I guess you would call him that, uh, born in India, had a great testimony on how he came to know Christ as Savior and Lord. And then um, he says this. He says that here there are only two questions that have relevance to the matter of the resurrection. The first is, did Jesus indeed rise from the dead? And the second is, so what? And so as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we discover something. The first 11 verses that we looked at last week have to do with the resurrection of Christ. The verses 12 through 58, the rest of the chapter have to do, has to do with the so what. Because you see, one of the things that we get confused on at the church at Corinth, as Paul wrote this letter and wrote this chapter to the church at Corinth, is that they were doubting the resurrection of Christ. They were not. This happened only 20, this book was written only 20 years after the resurrection of the Lord. The Bible says in verse 6 of this chapter, it says that he was seen of 500 people all at one time. So hundreds of people had seen the resurrected Lord. Many of them, some of them, had to be living in Corinth because uh, it was really a hub city. And so he says, look, you know, many of you know about the resurrection of Christ. And so you've seen him personally. And so I'm just going to sort of give you an overview of this. But the problem was, because the problem was in the church of Corinth, they didn't believe necessarily in their own resurrection. And they had problems with this, and they were wondering, and they're struggling with this, because in their background, the Greco-Roman Empire did not believe in a resurrection. In fact, they believed when you're dead, you're just dead. And even the Jews, the Sadducees, for example, some of the leaders of the Jews, did not believe in a resurrection. Others just simply believed in a resurrection at the end of time. And so they were wrestling with this. Well, what about us? You know, we know that Jesus had died on the cross and he rose again on the third day, but what about us? And so this answers the question, so what? And so we look in verse 12, it says, now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Here's the verse right here. This asks the question that the rest of the chapter answers. We're looking at 12 through 19 this week and then 20 and following in weeks ahead. So as we're looking at this, there's six things that he says that would not be true if there were no resurrection of the dead. I want to put them in three different categories. Number one, we're going to be looked at, look at the effects the resurrection has on our faith. Secondly, the effects that the resurrection has about his grace toward us. And then thirdly, the resurrection, how it affects our hope in the life ahead, in the life to come. First of all, how does the resurrection then affect our faith in Christ? 
Notice he says, if there be no resurrection, verse 13. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 16, he says the same thing. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Well, we looked at this last week, and we came to the conclusion, I hope, that by all proofs and historical accuracies of the New Testament and the surrounding documents around it, we come to the conclusion that Jesus must have been raised from the dead. Now, one of the things I didn't share with you last week, there, one guy, Frank Harbour, put together 10 things that we know about Jesus Christ for sure. And the 10th one was the grave, the tomb, was indeed empty. We know this from historical accounts. So the grave was empty. Now, the, the religious interpretation of that may be a question in your mind. But the tomb was empty. And so all the theories about the resurrection of Christ and how it had to be wrong and it just couldn't be true. I mean, after all, it's so otherworldly. It's so difficult to grasp. Only, those theories only came up about 1850 and beyond. Uh, things like the swoon theory. Jesus didn't die. He just sort of resuscitated in the grave. Things like a hallucination theory that, you know, the, uh, everybody was just hallucinating all at one time. It came in a group, you know, that kind of thing. All those have been refuted many, many times, and no one takes those arguments seriously. And so what are the two possibilities? Number one, the Jewish leaders stole the body. Well, if that was true, then why didn't they just produce the body when uh, Christianity began to take over the Roman Empire? When they began, the disciples began to preach the resurrection of the dead. All they had to do was roll out the body and say, here, it's just a myth. It's a fairy tale. They're, they're liars. They've never seen the Lord. They, they, rather, they've never seen this Jesus, this Nazarene, uh, rise from the dead because here's his dead body. Well, they didn't produce the body because they didn't steal the body. The second possibility is what Matthew 28, 11 through 15 talks about. That is the disciples stole the body. You know, they, they conquered the, the guards at the gate and rolled away the stone and stole the body. And, and you say, well, that's, you know, it could have happened, even though it looked like that they were afraid and they didn't believe in the resurrection. But here's the thing. Every single one of those disciples that supposedly stole the body died somewhat of a martyr's death. Now, a lot of people through history have died for their faith, but all of them believed they were dying for the truth. If the disciples died for their faith and they stole the body, they were dying for a lie. So why do we believe in the resurrection of Christ? Well, Matthew, for example, he, um, he writes the book of Matthew, and he saw him firsthand. We see Peter saw him firsthand. Uh, he inspired the book of Mark, wrote the book of First and Second Peter. Paul saw him on the road to Damascus. He wrote 13 different books of the New Testament. And so all these people that testify that Jesus Christ, that, that teach the things about Jesus also, also believed and said they saw the resurrected Lord. So here's what Paul says. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. And your faith is also vain. He says, my preaching, our preaching is vanity. It is worthless. It is of no effect. And many of you think that anyway. But here's the thing that we talked about last week. We said it was really strange that he chose, that all the writers in the New Testament chose the word preaching because it means to herald something. Now, we talked about the difference between hard news and soft news. Soft news in our news today is news you can use. It's about a new diet. It's about the new fashion. 
And hard news is stuff that really affects your life. It's inclement weather. You know, tornadoes, tornadoes are coming. It's the war. It's terrorism. It's, it's political news. It's stuff that really is going to have an impact on your life. Things are hugely important. So a herald, a crier, would go through the towns with no internet, no newspapers, no magazines, and he would, he would cry out the news of the day. Now, he would not waste his voice or waste his time on soft news. You know, sports and, and, and uh, general weather conditions and things like that. New, you know, the new diet coming along. He didn't talk about anything like that. He cried out the news that really made a difference. And Paul is saying, we are heralds of the good news. And if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, there is no news to tell. There is no good news. And we, we would be better off, I mean, there's no news at all, and we are wasting our breath. Then he goes on to say, he says, Christ's teachings are worthless because your faith is vain. Moreover, we have been found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise for in fact that the dead are not raised. He says, if the dead are not raised, we're not only preaching worthless stuff, but we're preaching a lie. Because what we've said is, we saw him with our own eyes. Now, if we did not see him with our own eyes, then we're lying. We're not telling the truth. Somebody, uh, um, that Rudolf Bootmann was one of the first guys that did this, an old German theologian that decided to demythologize the New Testament. You know, myth being a fairy tale. Uh, De-fairy tale the New Testament. And how he did that was, he just simply took out all the miracles of the Bible. So we're just going to look at the teachings of Jesus. We like the stuff about love. We like the stuff about mercy and forgiveness and all the good teachings about Jesus. But all this feeding the 5,000 and, and walking on water and being raised from the dead, we're just going to take that out because that is unbelievable stuff because miracles just don't happen like that. In fact, they don't happen at all. So they demythologize the New Testament. Sometimes we think about that ourselves and we have the feeling, well, I'm just going to take out all this stuff in our society today about the miracles of Jesus. I mean, after all, the resurrection, I'm not sure about that one. And, of course, you know, Jonah being swallowed by the great fish and all that kind of stuff. We don't believe all that, but we just want the teachings of Jesus. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if we are lying about the very foundation of our faith, who's to say that we're not lying about the rest of it? He says, if we are lying about that, we are, we are lying about God. That's what he's saying here. We're lying about God. How in the world can you trust anything that we're saying? And the only thing that we know about the teachings of Jesus really are here in the Bible. And so he says, our teaching is vain. He said, now look, pastor, you know, it's okay I don't need to know the bodily resurrection of Christ. I know of theologians that would say, if we found the body of Jesus today, I wouldn't have a problem with it. I'd still have faith. Well, here's the problem. You're having faith in something then that is not historically accurate. So therefore, it cannot be considered as truth. Um, many people say, well, I received Jesus because, oh, I don't know, I needed peace in my heart. I needed to be fulfilled. I needed to have real hope in my life. You know, I was really down, and I was in despair, and I, I trusted Christ to make me feel better. W.H. Auden, who was a, a converted atheist, shared his testimony. He said this, basically, in a nutshell. He says, I received Jesus Christ because he did not 
fulfill my life. I received Christ because he did not give me any peace. I received Christ because I did not find hope in him. What was he saying? He was saying, look, I received Jesus not because of what he was going to do for me, because I would never, he said, I would never create a God like, like this God. I would have created a God in my own image, not this God, not one that would die on the cross for me. That makes no sense to me. And we're all, all about uh, creating a God in our own image. He says, I received Jesus Christ because I was faced with historical crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead. It was true, and I had to struggle with it. I had to do something about it. He said, after all, that fulfillment came later, and it did happen. But he didn't do it for the soft news. He did it for the hard news. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he says, if we don't believe in our own resurrection, then Jesus Christ has not been risen from the dead at all. And yet, the Bible teaches historically that it happened. So secondly, we find the effects of his grace toward us. Look down at verse 17. <clears throat> it says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. Now, how, how can that be true? Have you ever wondered about that? You know, the Bible says that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Uh, his his uh, hands and feet were nailed to the cross. The Bible says the Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin because the life of the flesh is in the blood. Jesus shedding his blood on the cross was a payment for our sin. He cried out on the, uh, with a loud voice on the cross, it is finished. The debt, it means literally in the Greek, the debt has been paid. And yet without the resurrection, it says we're still in our sin. Romans 5, Romans 4, 25. We're still in our sin. So how do you reconcile that? Well, let me ask you this. <clears throat> how many of you have ever shopped at Costco or Sam's. Anybody here besides me? I mean, the rest of you are not going to vote for anything. I understand that. Some people never vote for anything. You know, never raise their hand for anything. What was it? What was, you know, how many of you want to go to heaven? Well, too late. You know, <laughs> yeah, too late. You can't. <clears throat> and we're not getting up a bus going right now. That's the old joke, you know. Um, you've, you've shopped at Costco or Sam's. So what happens when you leave the store? Well, there's a little 75-year-old little woman standing there <laughs> taking your receipt, okay? And there you are. you got this long receipt. you got your buggy full of stuff. And you're thinking, ooh, I just can't wait. <laughs> you know, and you say, here, stand down. Here's my receipt. Keep your guns in your holster, you know? Don't you sort of feel that way? You know, I always pictured this happening to me. Here I am, a pastor. I'm walking in the store with a bag, and I forgot my receipt. And I, every time I forget my receipt, I remember it because I picture this manager coming uh, with his Barney Fife hat on or something and rushing, you stole something. Open up that bag. And I want to say, here's my receipt. I'm ready. So what does the receipt prove? It proved that I purchased those items. I paid for those items. What is the res resurrection? It's the receipt. It proves that Jesus Christ, once and for all, died on the cross for all of our sins. He nailed them to the cross that we would be forgiven forever. He paid the ransom for us once and for all. That's the receipt of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. So every time you go to Costco or Sam's, you think about Jesus. That's all. 
That's the lesson of the day. Now, we look at this and you say, man, in, in other words, you're saying I wouldn't be forgiven of sin? Wow, that would be devastating. How devastating is it? Well, look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 55. I know I'm getting ahead of, my, ahead of myself in this series, but I want us to look at this. It says, <clears throat> death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. What in the world does that mean? The sting of death is sin. The sting is the conscience. It's the guilt. We feel guilty about stuff. You know, we do. We, there's no telling how much of our life is motivated by guilt. And we just don't even know how to deal with it. Bless our hearts. You know, we think to ourselves, well, you know, why me, God? I mean, wow, I've done all the things I'm supposed to do, and my friend over here really gets blessed, and and I don't have the right job. I don't have enough money coming in. Why me? Why me? Why me? And you think there's something there that you've done, and God is not blessing you. Then on the other hand, there's a guy that's blessed, and he's thinking, oh, God, look what I've done. I mean, I'm not perfect at all. I've done this, this, and this. And the devil starts throwing stuff at you, and you think, why me? Why am I blessed? Somebody else is not. How much of our anger is motivated by the fact that we, f we feel a sense of guilt. It's like we have a sense that we owe more to our creator than we can possibly pay. I mean, giving advice is often criticism, even though it may be constructive. Other societies, we see this to be so true, the primitive societies, how they sacrifice their even babies on the altar to a god. Why do they do that? Well, they just feel guilty. They're guilty. And then, you know, Buddhists, you know, sacrificed to statues. Even in the Old Testament, the Jews, by God's uh, direction, were sacrificing animals for their sins because they were, they were guilty. And so we look at this and we, we understand something very, very uh, precious, and that is it's one thing to feel guilty. It's another thing to be guilty. The problem is... It's a twofold thing. Yes, I do feel guilty. And sometimes you say, oh, we just live in an oppressed society, like Freud was saying. Well, Freud was wrong because now we're not in an oppressed society. I mean, I can remember the days of being much more legalistic in church, even much more legalistic in the, uh, earlier, my earlier days as a teenager. I can remember those days. And we said, oh, we're just not as oppressed as we used to be. But now, instead of going to a priest or a preacher, we go to a therapist, all the same thing, right? Things have not gotten better. The more we open up society, the guiltier we feel the, the pressure of that guilt and that sting, sting of that guilt that we feel. Where does this come from? Well, it's a reality because the power of sin is a law. And I love what uh, Tim Keller says about some of this stuff. He says, <clears throat> if there is no law, then guilt is just a psycho psychological thing. You know, I, I just feel guilty. I'm not really guilty, but, but, I, but I just feel that way. But if there's a law that you go by, then you're not only are, feel guilty, but you are guilty. In other words, if I steal something, I don't only feel guilty about it, but I am guilty. If I destroy your reputation, I should feel guilty about that, but I also, whether I feel it or not, it's there. It's eating away at me and my conscience. It's hurting me. You know, it's like uh, that movie and book, Murder on the Orient Express. 
you know, if you, you recall the movie, if not, uh, man, where you been? It's been out like, phew, you know, many moons uh, forever. And so it's, the story goes, there, these people on the train, there was a murder happening. This detective on the train was trying to solve the mur murder. And the end of the, end of the thing, he was trying to interview these 12 different people, these suspects on the train. And it turns out at the end of the movie, all of them did it. All of them. And Paul is saying, look, all of us did it. All of us nailed Jesus to the cross. All of us find ourselves guilty. Um, a uh, psychologist, I should, well, actually a historian from Yale University, uh, talks about this. And um, in, his, uh, in his article, he talks about the lostness that we've had of the law. And he says that, um, for example, if um, you had, well, he says right here, the sting of death is sin, the power. It says there's a, there's a power in the laws itself. And Arthur Leff, Yale University professor, talks about this. And he says 300 years ago, somehow, and he says 300 years, I don't know. 300 years ago, we left the Bible. And we started uh, doing right and wrong on our own. And we thought to ourselves, if we just simply go by science and research science, then we'll come up with the answers to what is right and what is wrong. We don't need the Bible, just right and wrong. Here's, here's the science of it. But we found out, that, you know, evolution, as it's taught, says it's survival of the fittest. In other words, the, the older eat the young, and the strongest eat the, the weak. And you say, well, that's not justice. There's nothing good about that. There's nothing right about that. So we left science. And so now it, it becomes more of a majority rules. And he says in his article, he says that now society accepts right and wrong without rules, without a law. They accept right and wrong based upon the majority. He says, but he says this. He, what happens is 60% of the people in any society decide that 40% of the people need to die. Does that make it right? Somebody says, well, no. Who says? That's his point. Who says? And so now we don't have a law to go by. One thing about the law of God is this. The law of God in the Old Testament is God, God's character personified. It's God's character illustrated. For example, he says uh, that it says that God is honest, so it, don't steal, one of the Ten Commandments. God is love, therefore help people. God is gracious, therefore forgive people. And so we look at this, and it, the law goes much, much deeper than just simply the do's and don'ts. And so now we've got a, we've got a problem, and that it's a double problem. I feel guilty. That sting is on me. But boy, the sting is real. It's not just something I feel. The wasp has actually stung me. It's not just something, oh, I, you know, it's just all in my head. No, it's real. Because of the laws of God are real. So how do we deal with that? Well... A lot, of, a lot of people shift the blame. We have different ways of doing this. We shift the blame. If you don't believe that, go to a, some marriage counseling sometime. Man, she did it, he did it, he, she, you know, you know, young people, you blame everything on the parents or uh, the parents blame everything on the, the uncle or aunt. I mean, we, we shift blame everywhere. You know, it's the boss's fault. You know, you got fired. And so it must be, it must be his fault. We always shift, the, we want to shift the blame. We do, redefine sin. He says another way that we would do, we do this is redefine, well, you know, people don't think that's wrong anymore. It's okay to do. Nobody thinks that's wrong. 
Another way is uh, escapism. Another way is gossip. Either giving gossip or listening to gossip. Because when you do that, you feel less guilty about yourself. You see, it's, it's a guilt-driven thing. When you talk about somebody else and you criticize someone else, you're putting them down to make yourself feel better about your own guilt. This, this law that's in your heart and this debt that you just can't seem to ever pay. And so you just talk about other people. What about overwork? You don't feel like you deserve it, do you? So what do you do? Work, 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 work more than anyone will require you to work. He's trying to, trying to earn something. But he says in verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the receipt that we have proves that Jesus Christ died on the cross to clear us of the guilt. To have victory over the guilt, the sting of death. Wouldn't you like that? You see, without it, what do you, how do you feel? Well, you feel kind of disengaged. Can I say this? You feel lost. You know, you've heard that term before. You've heard it in the hymn, once I was lost and now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. You see it in the Bible. You know, the lost son comes back to his father. What does that mean? When you think about lost, what do you think about? Well, you know, lost in the Bible, that means, I don't know, going to hell or something, you know? Well, let me ask you this. I'm not discounting account of, eternal accountability. But here's what I'm saying. The first thing you think about when you lose your keys is what? I mean, you've lost your keys. What do you, what do you think? Well, they must be in hell, I guess. <laughs> no, you know, you, you lost your phone, you know. Well, hey, it must be in hell, too. Well, um, I, I've had some phones I thought came from there, but I don't think I've ever lost one there. No, you, you think about, I can't find it. I misplaced it. I just simply can't find my keys. What happens when you're lost? You're, you're misplaced. You just feel disengaged from God. You don't know who you are. You haven't found yourself. You really haven't. You just feel lost without that resurrection of Christ. And so it affects us right now. The grace of God is opened up to us and the forgiveness of sin is opened up to us because of the receipt that says the debt has been paid. Thirdly, and lastly, it affects our hope in him. Look in verse 18 and 19 as we close the, the passage. Then those who have been fallen asleep, and that's just a, that's just a way of saying they died, okay? They just died in Christ, have perished. In other words, no heaven. All the, the grandmother that you lost, your mother, there's no heaven. There's no afterlife, he says, without the resurrection. And so you said goodbye to them for the last time. There's no justice in the world because those people who have been so in, unjust to everyone else, unjust to everyone else, will never pay for what they've done. There's just no justice, there's no eternity, and there's no hope. That's what he's saying. He says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. Why is that? Well, because all the songs, we're wasting our time. All the songs that we sang this morning are just nice songs. They have no meaning. And you say, oh, I felt it. That has no meaning. Well, you know, you heard a sermon and you came forward and got saved and joy was in your life and peace. And I I'm telling you, everything just happened. Waste of time. Didn't happen. All in your head. That's what Paul's saying. 
Without the resurrection, we are most to be pitied because there would be no afterlife. But listen to what he says. See, hope means, I know, remember, hope means I know something's going to happen. I'm looking forward to receiving it. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In Hebrews chapter 11, he says this. Listen to these verses. He says about Abraham, for he was looking for a city whose, which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. All those these died in faith without receiving the promises by having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country, he's talking about a heavenly country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, this heaven that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There is, a, there is a hope. There is a promise. When you die, you're not just dead. There is an afterlife. And those who have received Jesus Christ into their heart, they've had their sins forgiven. They've got the receipt in their hand because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They've applied that resurrection to their own life. The Bible says there is an afterlife. And Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. There is a promise of the afterlife. There's a hope. For you. Yeah, give the Lord a round of applause. Amen. We are not to be pitied. There is a future. And because there's a future, it changes my life. There are people here, maybe in their 70s. And you're thinking to yourself, well, my life's behind me. I mean, the best year's behind me. I mean, my goodness, I'm, I'm creaking around. You know, I, I mean, I can tell you right now, I know I'm getting old. Because I can, when I run in the rain, I get wetter than I am when I walk. I mean, everything's slowing down. You say, well, I've got my grandkids and all that. But you know this life's behind you because you have no hope. But listen, if there is a heaven, and there is, if there was a resurrection of Jesus Christ, and there was, and the reason for the resurrection of Jesus Christ was to prove he paid for our sins. He paid for our sins so we can have a relationship with him here on this earth and one day go to heaven. If that, then 70 years, my dear friend, that's just a drop in the bucket. You're just getting prepared for a greater day, right? You've got a future, and you've got a hope. But otherwise... There's just not much there. You see, the question is, is not how old the earth is. It's not whether Jonah got swallowed by the great fish. It's not even what happened to you at a former church. It's not whether there's dinosaurs in the Bible or something, you know. The real question is, did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? And if so, do you see it? Does it make a difference to you? Does it really? If not, there's no forgiveness and you just feel kind of lost. You know, when I was studying this passage, something came to me this week that I have not felt in a long, long time. And uh, I, give my, I share my testimony in the, uh, in the dinner with the pastor when we have that every month. And um, I, I share it, and I remember the details of how I received Christ. I was, heard all these sermons. I was under conviction. I was in the bed uh, late at one night, 2 o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep. Gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I, I talk about that. But it had been years since I felt it. And what it was like as I went through that, that night. 
And, and reading this passage, I can remember feeling so lost. You say, well, you're just a teenager. Well, you don't believe what teenagers go through. Why do they go through that? Well, they're no longer children. They're not quite adults yet. And during that period of time, you deal with re realities in your life, like maybe at no other time. You know, after that, college and beyond, you, lie, you start lying to yourself. But during those teenage years, no offense to college students, all right. <laughs> well, I should have said beyond college, beyond college. You start, you, you start kidding yourself a little bit. But during those years, you really grapple with some questions. And here's the, I apologize to the church that I grew up in. I know that it was a lot of joy in the church. It was a great pastor, wonderful situation. But from a teenager's point of view and from a child's point of view, I saw a lot of misery there. I saw people that were following Jesus in spite of the fact they had no joy in their life. And so for me, at the age of 16, the reason I had not, in fact, the reason I had not received Jesus Christ in the four years that I'd really been under conviction was one simple reason. I, I refused to say to God, God, I'm willing to be miserable for the rest of my life. See, I was like W.H. Auden. I didn't get saved because of fulfillment. I didn't think it was going to be fulfilled at all. I never heard of that before. I, I, I thought I should receive joy. I've heard about that, but I, I didn't see that in my church. I didn't see it. I didn't see it among the adults. Come to church, you know, just sit there and listen, you know, be real holy and all that, and I wasn't that holy. So what was I going to do? But I remember that night as I was just bawling my eyes out before God in, quiet, in the quietness of that house that night. I just finally said, okay, God, I know that Jesus died for me. I know he rose again on the third day, and I'm willing to be miserable for you for the rest of my life. And I gave my heart to Christ that night. Now, joy, I, I didn't know what happened to me. Must have not been the same salvation I'd seen in others because I received such joy, I couldn't wait to get out of bed that next morning and start a whole new journey and tell people what had happened to me. But I didn't do it for that reason. I didn't. I didn't see that. And so this morning, what about you? What about you? Are you receiving, have you received Jesus just for what he can do for you? Or have you really based your faith on historical Jesus who died on the cross for you, rose again on the third day, and you get it. You get it. And it's touched your heart. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I think every Christian here will be challenged by this message, knowing that Jesus Christ is alive and he is and he's resurrected and you're, you're a Christian. It'll change your life. Nothing, nothing should compare to that. No idol in your life could compete with that. But if you've never received Jesus into your heart, I want to ask you, why don't you do it now? Why don't you place your faith in him now? It's in, a, in, in the historical Jesus Christ. And you can do so by praying with me right now. And you can pray. You can pray silently as I pray out loud. Prayer goes like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for me. I don't come to you 
wanting the soft news. I want the truth. And the truth is, you died for me. You rose again on the third day. I need the receipt. I need to trust you no matter what comes forth. There's nothing on earth like you. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together very quietly. Our band's going to lead us in this song for just a moment. And as we sing this with heads bowed and eyes closed, you prayed that prayer to receive Christ. Now you receive an historical Jesus who had courage enough to die on the cross for you and courage enough to rise again on the third day. So I'm going to ask you, got two guys up here standing in the front. You have enough courage right now to say, I receive Christ in my life. I'm a church member, though. I received Christ into my life. I really trusted the historical Jesus Christ today. You come. You take one of these gentlemen by the hand and courageously tell them, yes, I've received the Lord. And as you do it, I think other people around you are, are going to be touched by that. And they're going to make that same decision. So right now, altar is open, by the way. Anybody would like to come and pray? But these guys are standing here in the front. You prayed that prayer or you want to pray that prayer, you come and talk to them as I pray for you.